Well, hello. Welcome to Professor Jay's classroom. I am Professor Jay, coming to you live from the great state of Texas. And uh, just hoping that we can continue to move on. Uh, today's episode is we are going to be talking about um, a interesting article in The Hill in which a Christian group warns against the rise of Christian nationalism. And what is Christian nationalism? And what is, uh, is it a threat to American society? And all that good stuff. So uh, let's hope and pray that we can get through this in a short amount of time without any real interruptions. And, uh, and hopefully by the end of this, you will uh, understand what we are talking about. Well, again, uh, pl- Christian nationalism as defined by um, the internet, okay? Um, if you just do a simple and very uh, rudimentary uh, search on Google, what you find is that um, according to the editors at Wikipedia, Christian nationalism is Christianity affiliated with religious nationalism. Okay, well, that's great. What does that mean? Well, it's Christian nationalist focus, focus primarily on internal politics, such as passing laws that reflect their view of Christianity, its role in political and social life. Okay, so basically, um, it's a new name for people who want to return back to um, the Christian founding, okay? Uh, People who want to return back to traditional values and want to go back in that direction. Um, People who are accused of being um, Christian nationalists uh, you go back to an article back in 2006 in the Huffington Post um, by one of their uh, writers. She calls David Barton of Wall Builders, who goes around the country uh, telling people about our religious heritage. Uh, that She calls him a, a Christian nationalist, and she accuses him of revisionist history. Okay, well, what is revisionist history? Well, it's taking proven history and changing it in order to fit a certain mold or a certain worldview. That's revisionist history. Okay, Um, and unfortunately, true history today is now being called revisionist history because for the last, you know, 80 years, um, progressives are uh, have really been in control of academia. And in academia, they go and they, and they write their histories. Well, then when you look at uh, the histories that they write, they don't actually refer back to original documentation. They refer to each other. They quote each other. Um, I'm currently reading a book right now by um, Doris Kearns Goodwin, uh, Team of Rivals. And it's about, it's her seminal book about um, Lincoln, okay, and about... Um, who Lincoln was. And if you go into the historical notes, um, she doesn't really have a bibliography. She has a glossary. She has an index. Um, but she has notes. Okay. And that, and that's very common with, uh, history, um, historians who write. Okay. Um, the, the common, instead of the common mode, all right, the common structure of writing is not to do a bibliography. So those of you out there who are used to 
writing advanced papers. And even those of you who, I mean, the last paper you wrote was back in college or in high school. Um, you know, a bibliography tells the reader where you got your information. Well, if you look at uh, the notes, okay, the notes are essentially the bibliography. All right. Um, a lot of these are, she does have a lot of references to, um, you know, actual first, you know, what we call primary sources. Okay. In other words, direct quotations from articles from back in the day and things like that. But she also has an awful lot of um, quotations from modern day historians, people who have written on the subject today. And that's great, but she's when you go and you look at these modern day historians, it's it's again maintaining a narrative, okay, maintaining a narrative, not allowing the original historical documents to color the the scholarship, but covering the narrative. Um, it's especially prevalent in my field, which is political science and public policy. Uh, we just quote each other. We don't actually go and do our own. Many many times we don't go and do our own research. And the reason why is it's, it's one, it's time consuming. Uh, good studies, uh, especially longitudinal studies take years to conduct that takes money. Okay. And you know, last time I checked, there wasn't a whole lot of money going around, uh, for people wanting to study how people make decisions. So, um, so again, we borrow on each other, we borrow on, um, those things. And so that's not necessarily bad, but when we do it, we have to make sure that we're staying true to the actual facts, that we're staying true to what's going on. And so um, that's what revisionist history is, is revisionist history is taking the truth and twisting it to fit a certain worldview. And that's been going on a long time. Um, when you go back to the original documents, when you go back to um, the primary sources and you look at the primary sources and you allow those to govern um, you see a totally different picture in a lot of situations. And that's pretty much what David Barton at Wall Builders tries to achieve, is um, he wants people going back to the original documents. Um, he has thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of original documents and artifacts in his museum here in Texas. Uh, he goes around the country. He's happy to answer questions. He's happy to show you uh, the religious heritage. Um, in fact, um, for full disclosure, I just spent two and a half days, uh, literally going at his, at his museum, uh, looking at the original documents, looking at the original history, learning the original history of, um, the, what America was like. And in, 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 in truth, the founding fathers were devoutly Christian people. They weren't deists. Uh, in fact, there's only two deists that you can really point to um, that were signers of the Declaration of Independence. Um, they, they were devout in their religions. There were Jewish founding fathers, um, which is incredibly important to look at. And so when we, when we look at America in its, in its entirety, when we look at the philosophical foundations, all right, of America, and you can devoid that of religion. If religion makes you uncomfortable, that's fine. All right, but you have to admit that America was founded on Enlightenment philosophy, Western philosophy, and what is those? What are those philosophies deeply rooted in? Well, they're deeply rooted in the Judeo-Christian um, 
value system. They're deeply rooted in the Judeo-Christian uh, uh, philosophy, all right, in Judeo-Christian systems. So going back to the article, uh, Christian Group Warns Against the Rise of Christian Nationalism by Rebecca Klar, all right, this, this was in Yesterday's Hill. All right, if we, if we, if we continue going through, all right, um, again, I, I don't want to read the entire thing to you, but um, I do want to read so that way you can get an idea of what we're going to be ultimately talking about. A group formed by Christian leaders is warning against the rise of Christian nationalism, saying the merging of Christian and American identities poses a threat to U.S. democracy and religious communities. Okay, that's a big, that's a big claim. And she's she mentions that these are christian leaders okay she doesn't differentiate she differentiates with christian nationalism these nationalists but she doesn't differentiate christian leaders well what does she mean by christian leaders well i went and looked at the website all right for these people and if you look at the website uh for this uh one of the first thing you see is um if you go to the home page is it's Christians against Christian nationalism. Okay, well that's that's great. Okay. Awesome. Well what is nationalism? Okay. We gotta we gotta take apart um, everything that's going on. And I'm glad that she put the link in the article because if we look at the overall statement, okay, and I, and, and we're gonna read the statement because it's not very long, but you need to you need to be knowledgeable of it. Christians against Christian nationalism. As Christians, our faith teaches us everyone is created in God's image and commands us to love one another. All right, starting off pretty good. Okay, that's absolutely right. Jesus says, "Love your na- love your neighbor as you love yourself." Um, for all of the law and all of the gospel, all of uh, the the Bible is found in those in that very principle: uh, to love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's all the commandments. And if you really want to know the truth, that really is the commandments can be summed up in those two very commandments. Uh, as Americans, we value our system of government. We do. And the good that can be accomplished in our constitutional democracy. <clears throat> All right. The good that can be accomplished in our constitutional democracy. That's where they lose you. That is right there. That is an incorrect statement. They're immediately putting the foundation of their argument on the fact that we are a constitutional mar- democracy. We are not a democracy. Let's get that absolutely clear. We are a constitutional republic. Now, just because we allow voting, voting is not the only sole, the only sole criteria to meet the definition of democracy. Just because you allow voting. Okay, if you go to, if you look at the textbooks that teach civics in our country today, if you look at, um, I mean, the weakening of our children's minds through education today, one of the things that you find is that's how they define, define democracy. Well, the, the right to vote. That's defining, no, democracy is popular rule. Okay, and, and what that means is it means the people rule. The only true democracy that's ever existed in the history of mankind is ancient Greece. And even that wasn't even a true democracy because only people who could vote were landowners. Okay. Uh, those, and women didn't have the right to vote either. Only people who could vote were landowners and male landowners. And, but they voted on every single thing, everything. And it didn't work. Ultimately, it gave over to 
a monarchy, which gave over to Alexander the Great, and we know how things go from there. And if you don't, you know, I suggest, you know, go and read the history of the Greek people. All right, so we know that democracy failed. Well, the founding fathers, when they created America, they created this country to be a constitutional republic. Now, why did they choose a republic? Because a republic is doable, okay? It breaks down government into smaller bite-sized pieces. Now, where did they get their idea for the republic? Now, a lot of secular um, professors and, and historians will say, well, they got it from the, they got it from the idea of the Roman Senate. Okay, well, that's true. The Romans did articulate, but that's not what the Founding Fathers said. The Founding Fathers didn't quote Cicero, okay? They didn't quote uh, Marcus Aurelius, all right, as how they were gonna govern this country. They quoted Montesquieu, okay? Uh, matter of fact, there's, there's a book called The Origins of Constitutionalism, uh, was done by uh, professors in, uh, the University of Houston, okay, and they, they took 10 years, and what they wanted to do was they wanted to see who influenced the Founding Fathers the most in creating our Constitution. And so they wanted to find direct quotations in the writings of the framers of the Constitution and see who they quoted the most. Well, the individuals that they quoted the most were Montesquieu was number one at 8%. Um, then they had uh, Blackstone, who was a judge in England in the 1600s who wrote a four-part commentary on um, the English common law. We still use that today to study the common law. Okay, Blackstone. And then uh, John Locke was the next at like, you know, 7%. Okay, and so you look at those, and those, those are who they quoted a lot. Matter of fact, John Locke in his two treaties on government, um, J John Wise, who was one of the si signers of the uh, Declaration of Independence, said we basically, we basically plagiarized uh, the Second Treatise of Government from John Locke when we created the Declaration of Independence. So these were very influential writers at the time. John Locke was a contemporary of the Founding Fathers. But overwhelmingly, to the tune of over 30%, and I don't exactly remember... Um, the exact percentage, but overwhelmingly over 30% of the quotations by the Founding Fathers were direct quotations from the Bible. Not the Quran, okay, the Bible, all right? And so, again, where did they get this idea? Well, they got it from the book of Deuteronomy in which God divides the, the tribe of Israel into small pieces, all the way building up to larger pieces. Why? It was easier to govern the people that way through representation, okay? So they wanted a representative government. Now, people can say, well, we have a representative democracy. Well, again, yes, but it's representative, meaning we vote in our representatives to represent us in Congress, all right? Meaning we are trusting them to represent the majority of their district and the majority of their district's interests. To say that we're a democracy says that all people should be, it's this idea that all should people be represented. Well, that, that can't be, all right? And the Founding Fathers actually didn't want that. It's one of the reasons why they instituted the uh, Electoral College. It's one of the reasons why they instituted um, the, the, the system that we have because they didn't trust the mob. They knew that the passions of the mob could be easily swayed. And, and, and honestly, this is the reason why you see this term democracy. 
is people in power, especially people who start talking about democracy, 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 they know that they can, if they can get people thinking, we're in control. All right, if they can get people thinking that my ideas should be what rules the day, then they can stir up the mob and they can get the mob to vote. And they can get the mob to vote certain ways. Okay, whereas the founding fathers wanted a system of government that was rational, they wanted a system of government where people uh, voted. For, so if they had a complaint, they went to their member. They focused on the member. They, they, they realized all politics is local. And the member had to, be, had to live with his people. Okay? You didn't have people you know, living in Washington. You know, um, and you didn't have these careerists like you do today. All right. So again, this idea that we're a constitutional market, democracy is wrong. So the statement, as Americans, we value our system of government is true, but we value our system of government as it exists, not that we are a constitutional democracy. We're not. Today, we are concerned about a persistent threat to both our religious communities and our democracy. Okay. Well, first of all, what's this threat? What's the threat to our religious communities? All right. I don't understand that, but they'll go on in our democracy and they list the threat as christian nationalism as as though this is this is a threat this is an existential threat that's a term that everybody likes to throw around today that there's this threat that there's these 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 christian nationalists that are out there that are threatening people who don't believe the way that they do and you know they're going to subjugate them and they're going to put them all into you know concentration camps and all this kind of stuff i mean that's that's the way this reads Christian nationals cease to merge Christian and American identities, distorting both the Christian faith and America's constitutional democracy. Again, a constitutional democracy. Well, why do we have this term, constitutional democracy? You'll find out. Christian nationalism demands Christianity be privileged by the state and implies that to be a good American, one must be Christian. That is not true. If you look at most of what they deem and the people who they're talking about people like David Barton, they don't say that you have to be a Christian. That's not what they're talking about. This is a distortion of the truth. This is either it's a reflection of the people who wrote this and their own insecurities and their own um, mental issues, or they're flat out lying and they're trying to manipulate the American people. But again, this idea that demands that one must be Christian. No. The founding fathers said, and John Adams was one of them, who said that this system of government only works for a moral and just people, and that that morality is best found in the Christian faith. It didn't say that you had to be a Christian. He said that the moral, that the morality necessary for this country and for this experiment to work is found in the Christian faith. Well, can we all agree that we can agree on the morality, the values, and the philosophy of the Christian faith without people having to be Christian? Now, would it be nice if they were Christian? Yes, because with that comes a myriad of other things that are beneficial for a person. But if we can agree on the Christian morality, the value system, it's not any different than that's why we call it the Judeo-Christian value system, is because they're very similar. Now we disagree on you know eating habits and things like that, but overall, I mean Jesus when he was talking about the golden rule, he was simply re 
you know, he was simply regurgitating things, the, the, the golden rule, which is found in um, books of the Old Testament. All right. So again, this is, this is an idea that is very consistent with Christianity. Well, they're twisting it to say, well, if we want to return back to these values, well, then we must be forcing Christianity on people. Well, no, that's their issue because that's what they're trying to do. Many times, if you listen to people, one of the things that they will do is they will reveal their motives, especially in what they accuse other people of doing. Because if they can accuse you of doing it first, then when you turn around and say, well, you're doing the same thing, then you, they can say, well, what, that's whataboutism. We don't care about whataboutism. What are you doing? You know, see what I'm saying? So again, uh, so it's, it's very crafty. It often overlaps with the pro- and provide often overlaps with and provides cover for white supremacy and racial subjugation. That is such a lie. Okay. In fact, and this goes back to the well, you know, the KKK were you know were were Christians. No, they weren't. If anything, if if they even espoused Christianity, they were taking the Lord's name in vain, which was in violation of the Ten Commandments. All right. Many of them, I mean, if you look at the structure of the KKK, it's pagan in its structure. It's not even Christian. They burn crosses because cross is a scary symbol. You burn it and it's scary. All right. It's not because, you know, ooh, Christian, white Christian. If they say white Christian, it's cultural Christianity. It's not actual Christianity. So, again, this is, this is again, blurring the facts in order to support. We reject this damaging political ideology and invite our Christian brothers and sisters to join us in opposing this threat to our faith and to our nation. Are there a lot of Christian nationalists out there blowing up buildings? Are there a lot of Christian nationalists out there marching and beating up people because they don't believe the way that they believe? Are there? Because last time I checked, there were a lot of leftists out there beating up people. Last time I checked, there were a lot of uh, leftists going out and shooting people up, spraying pepper spray on them. That was the last time I checked. I, I haven't seen a whole lot of people waving Christian flags and wearing Christian t-shirts beating up on other people. Okay. As Christians, we are bound to Christ, not by citizen, by citizenship, but by faith. Well, first of all, wait a minute. Weren't we just talking about the Christian democracy and the constitutional democracy? Are proud of all those things? But now we're saying as Christians, we're not bound by that? Well, then what's the point of this whole entire letter? You see, this is the doublespeak of people on the left. This is the doublespeak. These are all leftist Christians. These are all liberal Christians. If you look at the list of people who signed this thing, I mean, Jim Wallace is just stand out to you. That is that they are leftist Christians. All right. And in many of these leftist Christians don't even believe in Jesus Christ as the son of God. And they definitely don't believe that he is the way, the truth and the life and no one can come unto the father, but by him. They definitely don't believe that, even though Jesus said that. They don't believe that. So again, I, I digress. All right. But by faith, we believe that people of all faiths, none have the right and responsibility to engage constructively in the public square. So in other words, what they're saying is people of all faiths or none have a right to have a right and responsibility to engage constructively. But who defines constructively? They do. Patriotism does not require us to minimize our religious convictions. Well, aren't they requiring these Christian nationalists 
to minimize theirs? See again. One's religious affiliation or lack thereof should be irrelevant to one standing in the civic community. No Christian nationalists are saying that. Okay? Government should not, pref- should not prefer one religion over another or religion over non-religion. Nobody's saying that. And in fact, that whole statement is a perversion of separation of church and state. We can go over that another time. Religious instruction is best left to our houses of worship. So in other words, keep your faith inside the four walls. Don't come out into the, the public with it. Other religious institutions and families. So in other words, keep it at home. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus was out in the street with, with the people. Okay, so again, not a teaching of Christ. America's historic commitment to religious pluralism, there's that word pluralism. I told you we would get to it. This is the idea that there is no truth. So in other words, religious pluralism is the belief that all faiths lead to God. Okay? Enables faith communities to live in a civic harmony with one another without sacrificing our theological convictions. No, that's ex- that very sentence, pluralism, that very sentence is a contradiction. Pluralism does not allow you to, especially the today's definition of pluralism, does not allow you to hold on to your theological conviction. In fact, pluralism leads to the original statement, one of the statements above, which is religious instruction is best left in our houses of worship and religious institutions and families. That's what pluralism says. Keep it to yourself. So as long as you keep it to yourself, you can hold to your conviction. What my conviction tells me I need to proselytize. See what I'm saying? Conflating religious authority with political authority is idolatrous. Oh my gosh, we're creating idols. But this is what they do. This is the same exact thing that they do. All of these people are part of liberation theology. They're all a part of they're all a part of organizations that believe in collective salvation. In other words, we have to implement socialism in our government or we will all go to hell. They put, they're the ones that put, see again, if you listen to people, they will accuse you of doing the very thing that they do. It often leads to oppression of minority and other marginalized groups, as well as spiritual impoverishment of religion. Well, aren't they trying to, they, they're declaring Christian nationalism as a threat? Aren't they trying to oppress those people's points of view by listing them as a threat? In other words, they're dangerous. We have to stay away from them. We can't invite. You see what I'm saying? They're, the very thing that they're accusing the other team of doing, they're doing themselves. We must stand up to and speak out against Christian nationalism, especially when it inspires acts of violence and intimidation. Has it done that yet? Again, not seeing a lot of Christian nationalists out there beating people up. I see a lot of socialists out there beating people up. And I see a lot of, you know, I see a lot of um, Christian, and I say that in quotation marks, on the left, not speaking out against those people. Including vandalism, bomb threats, arson, hate crimes, attacks of house of worships against religious communities at home and abroad. Again, a lot of those attacks on houses of worships were conducted, were, were actually frauds. There's a great study, there's a great book talking about the hate crime fraud. And that's the title of the book. 
that a lot of these things are done by the left in order to give the illusion that these things are happening. And this was conducted by a black professor, black political science professor. Okay? So again, we have to be careful what, again, they accuse us of what they are doing in order to keep us, and they do it, and they do it beforehand. Because why did they come out with this? I mean, are we seeing a, a huge barnstorm of Christian nationalism out there that we have to be afraid of right now? No. Why? They're getting ahead of the game. Whether we worship at a church, mosque, synagogue, or temple, America has no second-class face. Is anybody saying that? And, I mean, we can talk about, is Islam, you know, is Islam uh, compatible with American idealism? All right, we can we can talk about that. We can have a rational debate about that. But you know, last time I checked, I wasn't seeing that happening. And I mean, I'm I'm a religious person. All are equal under the U.S. Constitution. Nobody disagrees with that. Matter of fact, Christian nationalists agree with that. As Christians, we must speak in one voice, condemning Christian nationalism as a distortion of the gospel of Jesus. Yet they are responsible for distorting the gospel of Jesus. I mean, again, the primary gospel of Jesus is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but by me. And yet they, des- they denied that very thing even in this statement. And a threat to American democracy. Well, yes, it is a threat to American democracy. You know why? Because American democracy was not what the founding fathers had intended. They're moving us towards American democracy. American democracy is the mob. So, anyways, Christian nationalism. Is it a threat to our society, I would argue, okay, when we're talking about nationalism, nationalism is pride in one's country, all right? Um, If you were to look at the definition of nationalism, and again, a nominal search in Google, all right, national identification with one's own nation and support of its interests, especially to the exclusion or detriment of interests of other nations. In other words, America first, Advocacy of or support for the political independence of a particular nation or people. America first. Nationalism is not a bad thing. What they mean by nationalism is they mean fascism. That's how they interpret nationalism. Okay? They, they think Nazis because it had nationalist... So it was the nationalist part. Well, no, no, no. It, they were the nationalist socialists. It was... Socialism, but it wasn't the global socialism. It was socialism just for that country. Nazis are national socialists. Okay? So again, what is nationalism? So Christian nationalism is, in other words, people who want to return back to American-centric idealism. People who believe in American exceptionalism. People who believe in that America is a bright, shining city on a hill. People who want to return back to the values that built this country, back to the culture. And yes, there is an American culture. All right. People who say there is an American culture or say that American culture was built up all around, that that's a racist statement. No, 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 no. Understand, the American culture was built by a lot of different cultures, but it took on American ideal. Because if you go around the country, freedom's not an ideal, liberty is not an ideal. Movement from class to class is not an ideal. All right? 
so understanding that constitutionalism, checks and balances, all these things are unique to the United States. And if you really study it, and if you're an honest broker, you will admit that. All right. The fact that our Constitution has been around for 230 plus years, whereas the average the average length of a Constitution is 17 years, that's pretty exceptional. Well, why is our Constitution different? Well, our Constitution was built not on mob rule, but on rational rationality, on things moving slowly, on allowing people, allowing the people to move at the pace that they need to carefully. But that's not fast enough for these people. They want, they want the change in their lifetime. They want to see it now. Many are motivated by power. Many are motivated by greed. Many are motivated by whatever. So when we're looking at Christian nationalism, is it a threat to America? Well, here's the thing. If you're taking this ideology and you are going to use it to subjugate and to push people out of the American experiment, then yes, that is a threat. Okay? If you are going to prevent people of different faiths from being part of the American dream, then yes, it's a threat. Okay? That is a threat. We don't want that. All right? Does it bother me that there are Muslims in Congress and in the Senate? No, as long as they believe that the Constitution is the supreme law of the land. But if they believe that the Quran is greater than the Constitution, if they believe that Sharia law supplants American law, then we've got an issue. All right? But if they believe that the Constitution is the supreme law of the land, I've got no problem. I've got no problem with them being there. If they are putting their hand on the Bible and swearing to protect the Constitution against all enemies foreign and domestic, and they actually live up to their oath of office, then I've got no problem with anybody being there. Agnostic, atheist, Muslim, Hindu, Sheep, whatever. Christian, Jew, I have no problem. My issue with people in government isn't their faith. It's do they uphold the Constitution? Okay. So... So again, if we're using if we're using that to prohibit other people and not allowing them to have freedom, then absolutely it's a threat. But that's not what the leaders of Christian nationalism are advocating for. People like David Barton are not advocating for those things. People like David Barton are wanting just a return back to the values that made us great. And we can talk about what values those are. And they're there. We had real values at one time that made us great. And they are rooted in Judeo-Christian, the Judeo-Christian value system. Okay? Because that was, the, that was what Western philosophy was rooted in. But again, so uh, interesting article by The Hill talking about Christian nationalism. Again, the left-wing Christians are out there all in a tizzy because people have an audacity to believe something um, that's actually historically accurate and challenges their position and their authority in academia and in, in what they're preaching and advocating for in American society. And they want to challenge that culture. And so, again, we have to challenge that. We have to, we have to use hyperbole. We have to call it a threat to the nation. 
Well, again, uh, that is the end of class today. I hope you found it uh, educational. I hope you found it, um, you know, uh, your, to your liking. And uh, I'll see you next time, next class. Thank you very much.